Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right. Welcome to Fear, Inc. If fear were business, it would be the largest corporation in the history of the world. And all of us have to deal with this thing called fear. And here's our goal in this series. It's to put fear out of business in your lives. Last week was our first weekend, lesson one, and we dealt with the fear of people and overcoming the fear of people. If you weren't here, the chatter in the lobbies were high, so people were blessed by it. And today we're going to deal with the fear of lack, L-A-C-K, the fear of lack. And what do we do when we have this fear called lack? And all of us deal with it, right? I mean, in every stage of life, we deal with it. If you're a student, you go away to school, you deal with it. I mean, you really deal with it. Uh, you deal with it with student debt, right? Um, if, if you decide to build a home and you get into that new home, then more bills are coming than you had, and then some extra expenses come in, you deal with it. Um, if you have education, you have to pay for for your kids. You deal with it. Life just keeps throwing extra things at us no matter where we work, no matter what we do. If you start a business, you're going to have to deal with the fear of lack because you're taking a step. If you expand a business, you're going to have to deal with the fear of lack. If you have a downturn in the business world, you're going to have to deal with the fear of lack. If you're on a fixed income, you haven't had a cost of living raise in five, six years, you have to deal with the fear of lack. And how do we deal with this thing called fear? Now, I was amazed at how big it is, how many people deal with it. Allow me to share this stat with you. This was an amazing stat to me. Uh, 65% of Americans lose sleep over worrying about money issues. That's an NBC poll. So it's not just a slight concern. When you're losing sleep, it's a big concern. And so the fear of lack is gripping 65% of Americans. But it grips everybody uh, at every level. Listen to this stat. 48% of well-off baby boomers who have more than $1 million saved for retirement fear not having enough for later in life. U.S. News and World Report. You would think, man, if you had a million dollars, everything should turn out okay. But... No, even then you can worry about losing it, right? You could worry about burning through it, whatever. And then I thought this one was fascinating. 80% of people worth $20 million or more worry about being the target of a lawsuit and putting their wealth at risk, Princeton Associates. So even when you have all you could need, I mean, they're not worrying about where the next meal is coming from, right? That's not a concern. They're not worrying about paying for their kid's education. They're not worrying about if the car breaks down. But still, that fear of lack will hit you at every single level. And the question is, how do we deal with this thing called the fear of lack? How do we live in peace? And I remember when I was uh, a young man, went went away to Bible school, it was the first time that I felt the fear of lack because I came out of mom and dad's umbrella, you know? And now I'm on my own, and I remember driving to Oklahoma. I think I had right around $100 in my pocket, so I was driving this 1976 Bonneville, which is the size of a modern-day limo. It's a gas guzzler like you can't believe. And so I have to drive from here to Oklahoma, and I have 100 bucks in my pocket. Now, I had the first month's 
rent paid on, a, on an apartment, but I had to find a job and I had to have my first paycheck before I ran out of that $100. And I'll never forget, back then there was no internet, so you're driving to your jobs and putting in your applications and you're guzzling gas, and then you have to buy some food to live. And I'll never forget when that fear gripped me for the first time in my life. And boy, did I appreciate my parents a lot more at that point. And it was at that point that I had to begin to learn some of the things we're going to teach today. I remember in, in 2008 when the economy dropped, especially here in Trumbull County, and I remember having to, to deal with way less money coming in to run the church. And I remember the pressure that was on me in 2008. And I remember having to deal with the, the fear of lack. Are we going to make it? Are we going to be able to get through this? And all of us at one time or another in our life, we're going to deal with this thing called the fear of lack. So I'm gonna teach you what I learned and how I deal with it. Obviously we pray, we cast our cares on the Lord, but uh, if, if he's not helping, even when we do that, uh, that fear is going to come back on us. And I've learned just what we need to do and what I need to do. And it's worked in my life. So I'm going to help us uh, have it work in our lives. So here's my big idea. This is what I want us to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. It just goes like this. God has what you need. God has everything you need. TCI, Borman, Warren. God has it. God can get it to you. God is not our problem. God has what we need. And I love this scripture. Listen to it, Philippians 4.19. And the same God who takes care of me, Paul, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. There's a beautiful promise, guys. I want to supply all of your needs. I want to get what you need to you. And I think this is important because our needs are relative, right? Um, they're all different. And he's not saying, I'll supply your needs if they're this low or if they're this high. But if they go too high, I can't supply them. So think about it. A parent uh, who has one child has a set of needs, but a parent who has four or five, their needs are way bigger, right? And so God's saying, hey, whatever your needs are, I want to supply your needs. That's, that's what I want to do for you. So I, I found in my life walking through life with God. I just found four, I call them principles that we can put into motion. And the way I like to say it is this, our needs are over here and they just bring us to the center of the road where God can get his supply to us. They line us up to be able to have God supply our needs. The first one is this, it's fascinating, it's very important. We need to live for God. And this is a cool section of scripture I'm going to read. Um, Jesus was talking, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, and Jesus began to say to the people, hey, I don't want you worrying about your needs. I don't want you worrying about your clothes, your food, where your next meal is going to come from. I don't want you worrying about that. And so he talked about the birds, and he said, guys, the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, but I meet all their needs. And I got to thinking about the birds of the air because the birds to me are like hippies in the 1970s, you know? What do they do? Except for building a nest, do they do anything? I, I mean, I don't even know if they're smoking something. I'm not sure. But they just sit and tweet all day. Tweet, 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 tweet. And then they see a worm and eat it, whatever else they eat. And God's saying, hey, I supply all their needs. Aren't you more important 
than the birds. We're more important than birds, right? And he said, take a look at the flowers. He said, they're beautiful. Look at how I clothe them. Are you not more important than the flowers? And he gives this just beautiful setup, but then he ends with this thought, and this is a powerful thought. He says this in Matthew 6, 32, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Talking about just, you know, putting things first and getting everything we can. And then he goes on and he says this, verse 33, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So what does that do? It lines us up. And what's the first thing God says? If, if you want my provision to fall into your life, make me number one. Seek my kingdom first. What does that mean? It just means God becomes the most important thing in our lives. We don't become weird, but it's just like, God, I love you more than anything. God, I want to help you do what you're doing on the earth. I want to help my local church do what it's supposed to do. God, I want to read your Bible. God, I want to pray. And we'll never be perfect. We'll never be fully mature, but it's just us saying, God, man, I, I want you before anything else. And then he drops in the word righteousness, right? And that just means, God, I want to be as pure as I can be. That's a process. We'll never get there overnight. I don't want you walking out condemned, but we just say, God, I want to become pure. And we just, just keep striving for purity. And God says, if you do that, I can line you up so that your needs are supplied. That's the first thing. Live for God. Here's the second. I like to say it this way. Follow God's leading. The number one way that God speaks to us today is through the Bible. I mean, and, and he's never going to rewrite extra scriptures, but every now and then he deals with our heart, right, and gives us something on our heart, maybe speaks to our heart, not these ears, but in here that he wants us to do something specific. And it's amazing when you study the Bible and you watch people who, who literally just follow God's instructions, you watch God be able to supply everything they need to meet every need in their life. And I want to share a story with you. That ha this has to do with Elijah. And it's a great story. Elijah prayed that it would not rain on the earth for years until he prayed again. He prayed this prayer. God instructed him to. He was a prophet. And so he prays, no rain until I say so. And so years go by, one year goes by. And what happens when there's no rain, guys? Famine, right? So crops fell. And then animals had nothing to eat, no plants, and they began to die. And so people are starving. So God wants to take care of us in famine, and he takes care of Elijah. He takes care of a widow woman in famine. And this is a fascinating story, but they both had to listen to what God told them to do. And, and listen to what happens. Here's verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan River. So God's saying, you're here. I want you over here. Then he says this in verse four, you will drink from the brook and I have directed, the word directed means to command, and we're gonna see it again concerning him speaking to the widow. He says, I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he said, ravens, you're not gonna be hippies today. You're gonna do some work. I want you to supply some food for my prophet. So this is an amazing thing. And I wanna ask you a question. If the Kareth Ravine is here, and Elijah's here, and God's saying, go to the Kareth Ravine, what would happen if he went 30 miles east of the Kareth Ravine? There'd be no brook, and there'd be no ravens. The ravens would come, and he wouldn't be there. The supply is here. That's where the supply is. And God will direct us 
If we follow his directions, that's where the supply is. But if we don't, the supply is not there. Now, Elijah, he followed the directives. Listen to what happened, verse uh, 5. He did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. Verse 6, this is so cool. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Isn't that amazing? Here's what this does to me. If God can tell a raven to bring somebody food, God can supply your needs. And if it has to be something supernatural, it will be. I mean, we're going to see there's two other things we want to do, but if it has to be something supernatural, it will be. And I just thought these ravens, they had to go to a king's palace, right? And, and the king, you know, I don't know if they took off his dish or his scraps, but they grabbed some steak and some bread and they fly. And here's Elijah. And he just sees these ravens flying in the morning and at night. And I could see the first time they came, he said, hey, I like it medium rare. This is well done. <laughs> they had to find another king or steal it off the grill, you know, when it was medium rare. I don't know what happened, but it's an amazing story but he had to go to where the supply was. He had to follow the instructions of God, right? So I, th I think it's fascinating. Listen to what happens next. It says in verse seven, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So now it's dried up, the provision left there. And then he says this in verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to, to uh, Zarephath, in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed, same word, I have commanded a widow there to supply you with food. So now God wants to supply the widow's need. And so he says to the widow, and this is crazy, she hardly has anything. She has a little flour, little oil. And he, he says, I want you to feed the prophet when he comes. That's crazy. She says, she, she, she probably said to God, what, are you crazy? Lord, I don't have anything. There's a famine. This is all I have left. I'm going to die. And he says, no, I want you to take a little bit of that, and I want you to feed the prophet. So God's instructing her. How does God instruct us with our money? Think about it. And I was thinking of 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7, and 8. Here's what chapter, or verse 6 says, 2 Corinthians 9. In case you don't know that section, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul's receiving an offering from the church at Corinth, for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was going through a great famine at that time, and Paul's just receiving an offering. So here's what he says. Chapter 8, he calls it the grace of giving. He says, enter into the grace of giving. He comes to chapter 9, and he says, guys, if you give a little, you'll, you'll reap a little. If you give a lot, you'll reap more. So he's just saying, when you give, you're planting a seed, and that seed grows and will come back to you. And I'm very cautious, guys. Borman, TCI, Warren, very cautious. I don't want to ever... There's this fine line, and I don't want to enter into you and I giving to get in the wrong mentality, but the Bible teaches that when we give, God does bring a harvest or more into our lives. And so 6 says, give a little, you'll get a little, give a lot, you'll get a lot. Verse 7 is all attitude, give with the right attitude. But then verse 8 says this. This is New Testament, guys. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that in all things, at all times, you have all that you need. It's very similar to the instructions he gave the widow woman. So the word end means if you do verse 6, you get verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So if we read things like that and we say, nah, I'm not going to help my local church. I'm not going to give to the poor. I'm not, I'm not going to be generous. 
Well, God still loves you. You go to heaven. He loves you crazy, wildly. But the supply is with you and I sowing a seed. He says, if you don't sow a seed, I, I can't give you supply. And that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus taught it, give and it shall be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. That's what God's doing with the widow. Now, now watch, watch what happens. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town a gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And, and I just think about what happened there, guys. God spoke to the widow and said, hey, I'm sending a prophet. He's a crazy old man, big beard. He's not married, so there's food stuck in his beard, right? She said, so that's who's coming. I want you to give him some food. And he probably told, you know, the prophet, this little widow woman who's about to die, I want her to plant a seed so I can bless her life. And, and so he's looking. He's not sure. So uh, he said, that might be her. Would you go get me some water? And then she goes, and he thinks, I think that's her. Verse 11, as she was getting, going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now she's thinking, I see the food. He looks crazy, like God said, because these prophets didn't look normal, right? So verse 12, she thought, let me test. Let me make sure. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. She's just putting them to the test. But remember, God commanded her, I want you to, I want you to feed the prophet. So listen, he says, well, let me help you out. Let me give you some more words from the Lord. And he says in verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the, Lord, the day the Lord sends rain on the land. This is powerful. So now she has a choice to make. Do I follow what God says? Or do I, do I say, no, I, 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 just, I don't have enough to do that. She had to make a decision. And so look at what she did. Here's what she did. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Listen to verse 16. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken over Elijah. But if she didn't do what God said, that miracle wouldn't happen. And so I've noticed that if you and I do what God says, we live for God and then we just follow God's leading, God will be able to get us to where he can supply our needs. You know how else this works for me? This is fascinating. Um, <clears throat> there are times in my life, I look back, when you, when you raise four kids you know, Gina and I have always given and God's always supplied, but every now and then there's a need that's just bigger, you know, it just pops up. And I remember once I had a thousand dollar need and I looked at that need and it's like, oh, you know. Um, and so Gina and I, we know we have a need. And uh, so I, I began to save some money and I had about 300 bucks. I still needed 700. The bill was coming due. And I was in church one day and a guy comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm going on the missions trip I only need 300 more dollars. Would you pray for me that that 300 would come in? And I prayed for him and I agreed and said, amen. And he walked away. True story. When he walked away, I heard this voice in here, not here. I heard a voice say, you write him a check for $300. And I had this argument in like 10 seconds that could have taken a day. 
Because in my mind, I'm saying, God, God, are you kidding? I need 700 more dollars. I have a bill for 1,000 coming up. I have 300. Now you want me to give the 300 away, which means I need 1,000. Are you crazy? And I know the Bible at the time, but that's gonna, that conversation goes on, doesn't it? And I heard that. I heard in here, I said, you do, you do it. You do it. So I chased the guy across the lobby. I said, hey, hey, hey. I said, I want to be the guy that gives that to you. Don't even worry about it. I'm writing you a check. And I wrote him a check. And this is, I'm not exaggerating. Within a week, somebody grabbed me and they said, Pastor Joe, I've got to talk to you. And I said, sure. I have no idea what the talk's going to be. And they said, hey, I was minding my own business and God spoke to my heart or dealt with my heart. And he said, I was to write you a check. And he says, I don't know why. He goes, do you have a need in your life? I go, I do, I do. And he said, well, here's the check. And it was actually for a little bit more than $1,000. And I walked away from that saying, I'm so glad I followed the leading of God. And he'll do that for me every now and then. And it's amazing what happens when you do. Here's number three, guys. It goes like this. Do what you can do. In other words, you just don't sit home and, and wait. Do what you can do. If you have a need and you have some skills, maybe you moonlight a little, maybe you work some extra hours, you just... You do what you can do. We just don't sit back and say, God, work a miracle. God, grow some money on a tree. God, I don't want my oil ever to run dry. Or, Lord, make the flour, just make the cereal keep pouring or whatever. You know, we've got to do what we can do. And there's this cool story. We're going to use it for this and, and our next point, our fourth point. It's a cool story. It's with Elisha, who, who learned under Elijah. And it's a really cool story. So listen to it. It's 2 Kings 4.1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. He worked for Elisha. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. What a terrible time to live, right? She, she just lost her husband. She, she can't make an income. She can't pay this bill. And the creditors say, we're taking your two kids and making them slaves. That will pay your credit off. Now she's going to lose her kids. So she goes to the prophet and says, I need some help. Listen to verse 2. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? And then he asked this question. Listen, tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. And then he said, let me give you something you can do. And here's what he said. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. He said, you have feet. Your kids have feet. Go knock on doors. Ask for some empty jars. He's, she has nothing else but that jar of oil. But God said, you know what? I'll work a miracle if you do what you can do. But you've got to do something, right? And so listen to verse 4. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled... Put it to one side. This is amazing. So God says, I'll do what I can do, but I need you to do what you can do. And so here's how I work, and I'll share another story with you. Uh, there are other times when needs have popped up. The church takes care of me well, but you have four kids, and, and you know you own a house. Needs pop up, right? And I remember another time I had a need that was bigger than the $1,000, and here's how I prayed. I do, I do it all the time. I said, God, I don't have a whole lot of skills, but I can talk, okay? So would you put it on the hearts of some pastors to have me come in and preach on a Wednesday night when I'm not preaching or do a men's retreat or, Lord, maybe ask me to preach on a weekend when I'm not preaching here? And I'll pray a prayer like that, but then I always say this. I'm not exaggerating. I say, and better yet, do it for Gina so I don't have to do the extra work. <laughs> Gina can do it, right? 
because she can speak. She's good. So I said, Lord, be better if Gina did it. And uh, <coughs> so serious, serious prayers. I'm not, I'm not making this up. And I remember praying this once for, for a, a good-sized need, and I received a phone call shortly after I prayed, and the person on the phone was a pastor friend. He said, hey, I'm going on vacation on this weekend. Uh, are you free? I'd like you to come do my services. And I said, that's the first day of my vacation. I'd love to start doing your services. And so I went, and I worked hard Saturday night, two Sunday mornings. I worked really hard, put a lot into that message. But then he gave me an honorarium that met my need. And I think all of us have to ask, what skills do I have? Can I do something else? Can I do something more? And, and, when, and yet you don't want to kill yourself. You have to have time for God, time for you. But sometimes we have to ask, is there something extra I can do? And God said to this woman, you can gather jars, gather some jars, but then God always does the rest. And here's my next point. It's pretty cool. Uh, expect big things. And so many of us give and, and we don't believe that what God said is going to happen. To expect means what Jesus said, if you can believe all things are possible. There's something about us connecting with the promise of God and saying, I believe that. And it, it determines what level God can, can bring supply into our lives. And this story goes on, and it, it's in this story. It's an amazing thing. And it really changed my life when I saw it. Look, look what happens, verse 5. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. So they're in the house. They gathered all the jars. Verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Now, I can imagine what happened. The Bible doesn't say, but it had to happen like this. She, she sent her sons out and said, go, go get all the jars you can. And, and finally, there were 10 in the house. And they said, you want us to go get more, Mom? Want us to go get more? She said, no, nah. she's looking at that jar of oil thinking, I know God said he's going to do a miracle, but he can't fill more than 10 with this little bit of oil. And she said, no, let's just stop here. They shut the door. That was her expectancy. Let's say, we'll, we'll make a, let's say it's 10 jars. I don't know how many, but let's say it's 10. What if she would have said, no, get, go get me 10 more? What if she would have said, no, go get me five more. Go get me 15 more. The oil would have kept pouring. Her expectancy determined how much God could do for her. And so I'm going to just ask you a question. How many jars are you expecting God to fill? Because it really changes everything. And so listen how this ends. It goes like this. Second Kings 4, 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons live on what is left. Think about that. If she had to sell six to pay her debt, they had four left. What if she would have gotten 20? They'd have 14 left. Her expectancy allowed the oil to flow. And when it hit her level of what she expected or believed God could do, the oil stopped flowing. And so this is what I've learned. It's changed my life. So when I, fear, when I feel the fear of lack, I ask myself, am I living for God? And I say, check that baby off. Am, am I following God's instructions? Am I generous? Am I giving to the work of God? Do I give to the poor? Yeah, check that box off. Then I ask, am I doing everything I can do? That's why I'll pray, say, Lord, if there's a church I can preach at, open up a door. And, and, then, and then I say, Lord, I'm believing for you to answer this prayer. I'm believing that I give and it's given back to me. I'm believing that all grace is abounding towards me. My expectors are way out there. And I've watched God during some of the toughest times that hit this valley, toughest times in my life, I've watched God always come 
through. I hope I made some sense. TCI Boardman warned, I think we should all give it up because God's the God that meets all of our needs. Can we just thank him on every campus, man? Thank you, Lord God, for what you do. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for opening up our minds today. And we thank you for making these scriptures real. We thank you, Lord, for these incredible Bible stories that we had the chance to read and learn from. We know you made sure they were written for that reason. And Father, I know every person in this room, every person in Borman, every person in TCI, I know 65% are dealing with some needs. And Lord, I know for some, I've challenged them just like God challenged the people in our stories. But Lord, we thank you that you're such a good, incredible God. We thank you that you love us regardless. But we thank you, Lord, for helping us understand how to position ourselves today. And Lord, here's the first thing we want to do. We want to just cast every care we have on you. And right now, I just want you listening. If there's some cares in your life, maybe financial, just say, Lord, I want to give this to you. I'm expecting you to make the oil or the provision flow. And maybe as you're listening, you say, you know, I'm, I'm not living full blast for God. I need to do that. Or you say, man, uh, I'm not following the instructions. I need to follow them. Or I'm not doing all I can do. I'm, I've not been diligent there. Or you say, I'm not expecting God to do what he promised to do. And just take a moment. Just say, Father, I want to make those adjustments. And as you're praying, as all of us are praying, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you came in here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I'm, I'm really concerned about my eternity. Man, that's an important thing. That's forever, right? Living on earth is just a short time. Eternity is forever. Maybe you walked in having grown up in a Christian church. Maybe, maybe uh, you were water baptized as a baby or an adult. Maybe you haven't been in church in forever. Maybe you're not sure if God exists. I mean, think about it. It doesn't matter who you are. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. He said, whoever calls on my name, I will save him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he allowed himself to be crucified. God himself in the flesh allowed himself to be crucified. And he died physically. He was put in the grave, spent three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. And then God raised him up out of the grave. And he said, I am your salvation. Whoever believes in me, I'll save them. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Right now, I'm not asking you to join our church or religion. I'm asking you, what have you done with Jesus? And if you say, man, I can't remember a day when I prayed and made it real with Jesus. Can't remember a day when I said, I'll follow you, Jesus. Why not make that today? Would you pray with me right now? Everyone in, in, in all of our campuses, can we help them pray? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I'm real, I realize I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the only way to heaven. I accept you as my Savior. And I make a decision today to follow you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc 
or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at Believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.